That's where my son is today. Um, he's on the US, uh, USSS Coast Guard uh, Bark Eagle. He's uh, there until Saturday. He's uh, doing training exercises, learning all the things about seamanship on that beautiful boat. And uh, he's having a blast, I think. So we'll hear more on Saturday. Gets his phone on Saturday, so we'll, we'll hear more. Actually, Becca will hear more probably first. But uh, anyway, then, then we'll hear after that. So uh, that's great. And then, uh, so then he'll be back in, on ground for uh, a little bit longer with his training. But anyway, so I thought tomorrow, I've been bragging on my son a lot. <clears throat> maybe tomorrow we'll put up a, um, I think we'll put up a picture of our nurse tomorrow. Maybe that'd be good. Kind of equal time, right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for, uh, thank you for this day. And thank you for the amazing uh, ability we have to be here together in this place today and on this camp, this beautiful place, this special place, uh, but only because of you. The bush was holy because you were in it. The ground was holy because you were in it. The tabernacle, the holy of holies, was holy because you were in it. And today we are that temple. We together are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Just so happens to be on this amazing place we call Syker. And so may your presence just permeate everything. May the fragrance of Christ uh, spread and uh, permeate throughout this entire place today uh, in all aspects. We pray for the youth service, the children's, the tiny tots, for the alternative service on the hill and every part for our brother that will come and speak, uh, Tom, shortly this morning. So we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we are um, into this. And by the way, um, the books, uh, the book table is back up today. And so we hope you can get a copy of um, the book that goes along with this study. It is all of the studies that uh, we're going through here. Um, I think plus one, actually. There's a bonus one in the book that we don't have time to get to this week. Um, but anyway, chapter by chapter, and those are back there. Somebody asked me before, what do we do with, uh, you know, how do we do that? We just do donations. So if you want to give something, you can just find one of my family, Trina or me or, or Kylie, and uh, we'd be glad. There's online. There's a donate thing online if you want to do it that way as well. Or if you want to just take a book, please do, because uh, there's a lot of generosity um, that comes with these that, that allows us to do that. So we, we never want money to be a reason. We want people to take something home with them. So those are back there plus other ones. And again, as I said before, um, if you want to use these materials in your home church, just let me know. Somebody already talked to me this morning. I can email you the PowerPoints, put them on a flash drive for you uh, or anything that is of help to you. So uh, we're into verses 14 through, eight, uh, 14 through 19 this morning here in our study in 1 Corinthians 12. And as we said yesterday, from verse 12 on, we are, uh, he's discussing the body of Christ. And that is the, you know, the spirit working in you and through you, and that produces this functionality of the body of Christ. And there's really two main points. Now we introduced the whole thing yesterday with this idea of the simplicity, the simplicity that is in Christ. And he's going to touch on these two main ideas that are stated in verse 12 and then restated in verse 27 that in verse 12, the, the body is one and has many members. And then verse 27 restates that we are the body of Christ, members individually. So we are, we are individual members, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're individual members. God has a plan. Jesus has a unique way to work through each of us. Each one is special. Each one is unique. Each one is called. Each one is placed that's really neat to know, isn't it? I'm not just a number to God. I'm not just kind of one in a, you know, God doesn't just uh, say, 
you know, in heaven somewhere, God says, you know, we, we need a few more warm bodies in Ohio. Any, any, anybody will do, just grab some of those, you know, over there and stick them there. We, we are chosen to be here today, each one, uniquely. So members individually, yet we'll, tomorrow and Saturday we'll talk about we are one body, though, one body. But today, verses 14 to 19 is this thing about the individual call for each of us and how we are individually chosen and placed. So look at verse 14. He says, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. The important, let me, let me pause and say the importance of that is because, again, remember the background, always important background context um, in your Bible study, the most important factor. Remember that the Corinthians were saying there was one gift that matters. All the rest of them are kind of, you know, meh, you know, whatever. But there was this one that really mattered, speaking in languages. If you have that, you're really it. So they're emphasizing one kind of gift, one, you know, everybody must be a cookie cutter kind of version. And so Paul's kind of coming back at that with this no. Remember verses four through six, diversities, okay, differences of ministries, and so now he's, he's echoing that now very loudly in verse 14. The body's not one member, but many. If the foot, now he's illustrating this now. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Paul asks with some tongue-in-cheek here. And verse 16, if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, very dramatic, Paul, again, tongue-in-cheek, is it therefore not of the body? He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling be? But now God has set the members, each one of them, hear that emphasis? Each one of them in the body just as he pleased. He is the manager, facilitator, and resource of it all. And verse 19, he just kind of finally asks, if they were all one member, where would the body be? So once again, we are into this idea of the two main parts, and today we are covering the importance of each of the members of the body, each single one matter. I think, you, I think we all know that. I think, I think we all know that, don't we? In, in the church. I, I think we all feel that when everybody is responding to the call that God has for him or her, each one, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? In your family, at your house, when each member kind of like is, is, having, this, uh, is having a servant attitude and is letting God work in them and, and is just kind of like, you know, you know it's, it's amazing in our family there's these different abilities. You know, I'm, so, I'm so, always so amazed at that. And when everybody's kind of like God's using each one, there's this amazing thing that happens collectively, right? And same thing in our churches. I mean, unfortunately, in many of our American churches, as you know, I think the, I think the statistic is 20% do 80% in our churches. Is that right? Is that pretty much true? Like in your church, you see the 20% that do the 80% of the work? But what an amazing thing when you have just, you know, everybody starts feeling called and responding to Jesus working in them. And it's like, it's amazing. We don't even have to have tryouts. The Holy Spirit just gifts and works through the body. And like he provides when everybody's responding together, 
It's an amazing thing. Really one, each one really does matter. You are important. You are important. We'll talk about that more tomorrow. You are needed in this body. Here this week, you are needed in your family. You are needed in your local church. And, and hopefully, prayerfully, one thing that happens here at camp meeting is one of the benefits of camp meeting is, and this holiness message is, all the more we realize that he's working in us and our calling, and we go back to our local churches to all the more let him work through us in those places, right? That, that's, that's the beauty of what camp meeting ought to do for us, is that we go back and we are, we are more fruitful members of those local churches. Each one matters. So in order to understand that, um, though, there are Let's review the three main ideas of Corinthians we touched on earlier in the week, but this wasn't in your notes. So remember that um, Corinthians has these, uh, has the letter of the Corinthians is based on these three, these three main ideas. Number one, Jesus is the answer to everything. Jesus is the answer. Now the reason we know that's where he's going is the first 10 verses of the letter. If you, if you sometime later today go back and you open the letter and you look at verses 1 through 10 of chapter 1, what you're going to see is the name of Jesus is referred to 10 times in the first 10 verses. He just is like Jesus and Jesus Christ and Jesus and Jesus Christ. And then he throws in even beyond that some extra pronouns to refer to him as a bonus. So it's just like this rapid fire. And what he's saying in those verses is, folks, in this letter, because they wrote him a letter. I don't know if you know the background. Paul had been there uh, about four years prior to this letter. He planted the church, spent time with them, and then he goes on to mission, uh, his other journeys and he keeps in correspondence with these people, even visited them a little, but keeps in correspondence. They wrote him a letter, and they were asking, they're saying, Paul, we're having all these problems in our church. This, 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 and this. What should we do about it? And they were expecting what I would have expected. They wanted a church manual. That's what they were looking for. Paul, send us back some instructions on what to do about this, this, this. What's the answers and solutions to this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem. And if you could, if you could send it to us in a three-ring binder with dividers, that'd be great even, you know. And so he's right. He's saying, I, I'm going to talk to you about the answer, but there's only one, and it's Jesus. Ten, first ten verses, I'm going to talk to you about Jesus in this letter. And so what he does is that now he's going to apply that to every single situation. So now when he comes to chapter 12 and he says, now concerning gifts of the Spirit, no wonder in verse 3 he brings up that whole thing we talked about on the first day about Jesus is Lord, because that's the answer. When Jesus is Lord, that's the answer to spiritual gifts, and that's the answer to everything. Jesus is Lord. Now what keeps us, oh by the way, is that true for me? Where am I looking for my answer today? Where am I looking for the solution to what I'm dealing with today? Whatever it is, whatever it is, finances, uh, family issues, parenting. We, we often joke, too, that, uh, you know, we, we talk about parents need answers. Well, and we joke at our home, our, our children are still raising their parents, too, right? So, uh, so even raising parents, you need an answer for that, too. So whatever it is, ministry in your church, whatever, what it, where is it that you seek for your answers today? Prayerfully, I pray that you'll be seeking, as Paul says, seek your answer in Jesus. The person of Jesus is the answer. That's, that's point number one in this letter. So the question that we come to is, why don't we let that be true? Why don't we look to Jesus for our answer? Why don't we let Jesus be our answer? And that brings up 
point number two of this letter overall is pride is our block. I find that so consistently true in my life that pride often is my stumbling block that gets in the way of me just surrendering. I'm in a service, um, whether it's at my home church in, in Tennessee, where I'm not the pastor, but some people ask me, I'm, I'm evangelist in residence at our church in Nashville and help teaching Sunday school and all that kind of stuff, preach once in a while, but I'm not the pastor. I'm often the one sitting on uh, the front row, um, kind of usually over on this side at, at our church, on, about where Sylvia is. That's, that's kind of our seat area at our church. And uh, so I'm sitting there, and God speaks to me, or I'm in this camp meeting service, maybe, and God's speaking to me, and what's the whispers that I hear from the enemy? You can't go up there. What are people going to think of you? <laughs> embarrassing, whatever. And, and the enemy tries to let pride, my pride, be the block to life-changing Jesus working in my life. Paul addresses this over and over again in the letter about pride being their stumbling block. If you look to chapter, I won't take a lot of time on this, but if you look to chapters 4 and 5 really quick, there's a word that keeps cropping up in chapters 4 and 5. In verse, chapter 4, verse 6, Chapter 4, 6, he says that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up, puffed up on behalf of one against the other, puffed up. He says the same word down in chapter 4, verse 18. Now, some of you are puffed up. He used the same word again in chapter 5, verse 2, and you are puffed up. I mean, you kind of get the imagery of that, right? It's like the puffer fish, you know, you know like in, the, in, you know, you guys watch those nature shows, you know, and there's the puffer fish. And what does the puffer fish do to scare, to scare off its enemies? It does that, you know, tries to look bigger than it is. And how many times do I do that? How many times do I try to look bigger than I am? How many times do I, you know, put out this, you know, image of myself, whether that's on Facebook? You always pick your best picture to put out your profile photo, right? You know what I mean? You know, you, you always want, you, you don't pick the one with your eyes closed, you pick your best one, you know. I put out this image of myself where people ask me about my ministry and I want to put the best face on it, you know, of how things are going or whatever, no matter how it's going. So we're always kind of, he says, you guys are puffed up. You're always trying to put this thing on. And so back in chapter 3, he uses that word carnal. He says in verse uh, 1, he says, I ought to be able to speak to you. I, I could not speak to a spiritual people, but as to carnal as to babes in Christ. He says down in verse 3, you are still carnal. We, holiness people, we know what that means. <laughs> that means that you're acting out of self-centeredness or pride instead of letting, instead of allowing Jesus to be the answer, you're letting pride instead dictate your life and what you do. So, so all right? So, that issue keeps coming up for them. Almost every issue, I would say every issue that they were dealing with in the church at Corinth was rooted in pride. Think about that for a moment. It was the heart, at the heart of every single issue that they faced. Think about the issues they faced. Church division, what's that all about, pride? Now that's never true today. But it was then. And pride was at the root of their division in their churches. No, we're, no, it's us. No, it's us. No, our way. No, our way. You know, church division. Sexual immorality, pride, 
marital issues, that never happens, pride, right? And now when you come, and, and it is for me, how many times in my life is my pride, my self-centeredness, my, my real spiritual issue? So, no surprise then, when he comes to chapter 12 and this issue of languages, there it is again, pride, pride again, pride again. Pride's always the stumbling block. Pride at every, every time you could almost go, I bet you anything, it's going to be pride. Yep, there it is. Every problem they had in the church, I bet you it's going to be pride. Yep, there it is. Be something to watch for that in my life, right? Every time I have an argument or every time I have a disagreement or every time that we're having some issue, be something to look at myself and say, God, is there some pride? Oh, yep, there it is. <laughs> so here in the languages issue, it's pride that we said that um, we already learned this week, some are making this speaking in languages. They were all puffed up about it. Look at us. We can speak in these languages. This is really cool. They were getting, as we learned on the first day, they were getting carried away with it. As he says there in chapter 12, verse 2, they're getting carried away just like the Gentiles do. And so now you see this whole pride kind of atmosphere if you look at verses 15 through 17 here, there's a few things where you see the, the, the illustration of pride in, in this illustrations that Paul uses, just amazing illustration when he, he uses this illustration of, about the body and he tries to illustrate their pride. So a few things about that. So in verse 15 and 16, he talks about the foot speaking and the ear speaking, you know what I mean? Was anybody struck by something weird about talking body parts? Did that kind of weird anybody out? You know? Now, I know as we get older, we do make more creaks and groans and you know, all kinds of stuff like that when we move around. But uh, I, I know there, there are some sounds you know, associated with that. But we're talking about talking body parts. I was sitting there going, huh, that's interesting. Paul's giving an illustration of body parts talking for themselves. That's kind of interesting. And the oddity about that is you usually think about the head doing the talking, but you don't usually think about, as in verse 15, the foot talking and the ear talking. It's almost like in this kind of silly, granted, illustration, it's kind of like every body part is saying, well, I got the right to speak too. Well, don't forget me. Well, I got the right to say what I want to say. I'm going to speak my mind, Right? See the pride in that? Every body part. Well, I got, it's kind of the opposite of the James 1.19. Everybody, all good Christians, you know, have James 1.19 memorized, and uh, I'm sure you quote that often, especially to your children, right? So, uh, you know, my, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to, slow to speak. Of course, sometimes we're the opposite. Our culture is kind of the opposite. That's what Facebook is for. Our culture is the opposite. It's about being slow to listen and quick to speak. And so that's the, that's the mentality here. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians uh, earlier in his letter in chapter 6, verse 12. He said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. By the way, just because we have the freedom to say something doesn't mean we should kind of like that line in Jurassic Park where he says, we were so busy thinking about if we could, we didn't stop to think if we should. 
So here's these body parts kind of saying, well, I'm going to speak for myself and I got a right to say what I want to say. So that's, that's one thing that you notice about of self-centeredness, of carnality um, and pride in the illustration. And so that's always going to produce chaos. When, if, if it's true that everybody can just say what they want anytime they want, whenever they want, of course you realize that's going to produce chaos. It always does, right? You ever been in a board meeting where everybody just kind of, you ever been in one of those board meetings? Everybody can, whatever. Anyhow. Swift to speak, slow to listen. Paul talks about that, you know, if, if you guys follow this track that you're on, Corinthians, by the way, chapter 14, verse 23, we already mentioned this, but if you guys follow that track and just everybody can say whatever and no, no restraint, no order, no, no leading by the Holy Spirit, it says people are going to come in your church and think you're crazy. So, a second thing that we see is that when they're speaking, I don't know if you caught this, but in the statements that are made by Mr. Foot and Mr. Ear in verses 15 and 16, did you notice how dumb they are? Anybody struck by how foolish their statements are? Look, look at how dramatic. I know that nobody here is dramatic, are you? We have any drama people here? You ever get dramatic when you're upset? Anybody? Let me ask it this way. Do you have any family members that get dramatic when they're upset? And they just say something that's just ridiculous. You know what I mean? So these are literally ridiculous statements. Consider verse 15. The foot says, because I am not, can you hear the drama in this? Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. It's like dumb. What are you talking about? Just because you don't get to be a hand, you, you're you're going to take your ball and go home. You quit. Like you're not going to, you don't think you're a part of it at all. What? Paul just asks rhetorically in verse 15, what? Are you therefore not of the body? So verse 16, same thing. And then Mr. Ear gets dramatic. Mr. Mr. Foot must have rubbed off on Mr. Ear and he gets dramatic here. So the ear says, because I'm not an eye. I always wanted to be an eye. Didn't get to be an eye. Can you believe they didn't give me the part of the eye? I can't believe that. Just dramatic. I am not of the body. All this drama, right? And Paul, Paul's rhetorically answering that in verses 15 through 17 in very strong grammar saying, what? In his commentary in this passage, A.T. Robertson says, Thinking or saying so does not change the fact. No matter how many times you say something, that doesn't make it true, which is kind of what our world does too. As long as you can repeat it enough, then somebody will end up believing it, right? Case in point is the mainstream media, right? <laughs> if we can say it enough, they'll believe it. So Paul's point is, listen, folks, this is... This is but how often do I do that? How often, how often do I, in my life do I say what's not true? Do you, ever, do you ever find yourself, because you're upset, because you're stressed, because you're worried, because you're overwhelmed, do you ever say things that aren't true? I'm so dumb. Can't believe how dumb I am. Well, that's not true. But you felt it in the moment because you're overwhelmed or worried or stressed or whatever, and all the time I say stuff about myself like that. I'm so dumb. I'm so foolish. What a dork or whatever. I don't know. It's not true. But sometimes the enemy, if we can begin to say things, right? And some of us had words spoken into our lives that were not true. But what the enemy does, and you, you do know that's his only trick in his bag, right? Left, you, I mean, praise God. 
Colossians 1 tells us that he was disarmed. Satan has been disarmed. Are you glad for that? Satan has been disarmed. No power. Don't have to worry about his power. He, he, has, no, he has no power over you today. He has no threat. He can only do one thing. He can talk a lot. Big mouth. Somebody once said he's like a, he's hog-tied, right? But his mouth still moves. And all Satan can do is just keep telling you stuff, and that's, that's a lot of the bondage that many of us are in from our childhood or our upbringing is we heard words and we started to believe. If that's said about me over and over again, then I must believe it to be true. Sometimes I speak things about myself, and the enemy just uses that. And so the solution to all that is to be in, not, not listen to what I'm hearing, but to be into God's truth, God's word, right? So, so Paul's saying, come on, folks, it, it just what you're saying is just silly. Come on. So a third thing, I don't know if you caught this, a third thing of, of the self-centeredness is I, I, was, I was sitting there thinking in my Walmart notebook out loud, I was sitting there going, it's really interesting that Paul's using this, where did he ever get this idea about talking body parts? You know, I mean, just the guy is so creative. Where, where did you, I'm sitting there just having this conversation going, like, Paul, where did you get this idea of talking body parts? And so I started, like, snooping around a little bit, and I came upon Aesop's fables. Anybody ever, you know, you know, Aesop's fables? You guys know Aesop's fables? You know, things like uh, the tortoise and the hare or the boy who cried wolf and stuff like that, right? And this little-known Aesop's fable I'd never heard of is called The Belly and the Members. You can look it up on the Internet. It's hilarious. There's this Aesop's fable. Nobody, I mean, they don't, they don't talk about this one. I would show an image of it, but the image was so weird. It was, I didn't want to scare you this morning. But anyway, there's this whole fable, Aesop's fable, just like all, there's like 800 Aesop's fables, by the way. But um, this, the belly and the members. And um, here, here's how it goes. It goes something like this. Once upon a time, there's this body, and, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, the hands and the feet got together and had a meeting. And they became disgruntled because the hands and the feet realized that they were doing all the work and the lazy stomach, all it gets to do is digest the food. And so the hands and the feet got together and they decided to kind of go on strike together. They, they said, we're tired of this. We're not going to take it anymore. Right? We're done. So we're, if, if the stomach wants to eat, let it get its own food. We're not doing it no more. So the hands and the feet got together, said, that's it. We're on strike. We're not doing it anymore. And so they, they quit. Does anybody know how that turned out for everybody? Self-centeredness never goes well in the body, does it? When it's all about self, it kills all of us in the body. And, like, and, and Paul, I, I, I wondered if Paul was trying to draw on that, even that simple like they all, they would have grown up with Aesop's fables, you know, in the Greek culture. They would have had some idea of those. I was wondering if Paul might have even been saying, you guys even know even your own fables speak the truth. Self-centeredness does us all in every time in the body. And so his point, his point here by the end of this and by the time you get down to verse 14, the body, you know, in verse 14, the body is not one member but many and God has set the members, each one of them in the body just as he pleased. Each one matters. You guys remember what Larry the Cucumber says, right? God made you special and 
He loves you very, you guys need to watch more VeggieTales. It has good theology in there. God loves you special and he, he loves you, God made you special and he loves you very much. That's the point. That's the point. So, as we said a minute ago, the, the key for us is not feelings. I love what Brother Tom said. It's not about feelings, it's not about fear, it's about truth. That's where the spiritual battle is. In the middle of your darkest moments, go back to the truth. To go back to the truth of God's word. That's why it's so critical for us to be into the word. We gotta be standing on the truth. So get into the truth and have an attitude and a mindset based on truth. Not what I feel, not what I think, not my drama. You guys need to know, in our family, confession here, my side is the drama side, all right? I come from the, dra- dr- I, I come from the dramatic half of the family, right? I see that? I see she said, okay. So don't base it on drama, what you feel, base it on truth, on what's real, not what you feel, not what you're afraid of, not what you think, okay? So you come down to verse 18, and if you want truth, he's saying, okay, after all your, okay, Corinthians, here's your drama and all your feelings, but go down to verse 18, here's something you can chew on, you can take this to the bank, and you can stand on. Here's the truth, verse 18, ready? God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. There's your truth. Stand on that truth. God has set the members, each one of them. Stand on the truth. I, I don't know about you, I need truth in my life. I need to be into the word of God, not to preach sermons, although that's, that, that's good. I need to be into the word of God because I need the truth in my life. And I believe you do too. I believe our churches do. As we said yesterday, I believe we need to get back to the simplicity that is in God's word, a church based on the truth. So here's the truth. So look at a few things about the, the statement of verse 18. It, it, it paints this overwhelming message that God is in control of his body. And I say amen to that, don't you? I'm not in charge of the body of Christ. You're not in charge of the body of Christ. My denomination's not in charge. God's in charge. It's his body. It's the body of Christ. God is in control. He has chosen each one. It says God has set the members, each one of them. He has a plan for each one of us, and just as he pleased. I don't have time for these verses, but they're in your notes. I love this idea that God has a good pleasure for us, right? I love this idea that God isn't just kind of tolerating us. God isn't just kind of just trying to find a place for us. Well, where are we going to stick him? All right. God has a good pleasure for us. Amen? How many believe today God is a good God? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever, the psalmist writes. God is good. Now let me get to my favorite part of this uh, study, which is probably my favorite part of this chapter. I want to get to a word in Greek that I've shared with you in years past. I know when we studied, some of you might remember 2 Timothy And um, I know I shared this at um, Sebring, actually, last summer. And so, from what I saw on Facebook, is Judy Dalrymple in here? They're they're back working. So, Donna Yossi, and I think they made a sign with this on it and put it in the kitchen at Sebring, which is pretty cool. Just kind of, we're going to be on, you know, our our kitchen is going to be based in the truth. I like that. But this word in Greek, when he says this important idea here in verse 18, God, what has he done with each member? Remember what we just said a minute ago. Each one of us matters, okay? God has set each one, 
just as he pleased. He has a good pleasure for you today. He's good. But this Greek word, it says he has set each member. It's the Greek word tithemi. That's an important word, so I want you to say it with me this morning. It's, you can kind of see it spelled up there, and the A there is a long A sound. It's kind of hard to write it in English, but the A is a long, so it sounds like this, tith a me. Can you say it with me this morning? Tith a me. One more time. Tith a me. That's the Greek word that is translated God has set or placed each member in the body. I love talking about this word because of how it was used. Now, as I said earlier, um, Greek's not always the silver bullet that kind of makes this huge splash, but once in a while, a Greek word can bring out some worlds of meaning, like it just kind of just opens up like just worlds of understanding. This word is one of those cases because, and I love the way it was used two different ways in the ancient world. One way it was used was in military strategy military strategy. The reason I put this up here is because it's one of my son and I's favorite games. It's called Risk, and uh, Risk is a board game where you take all these pieces, and you have your army, he has his army. You can even do a six-player game. And uh, so you, uh, actually the game, it takes a long time to play, but it just takes, it takes equally as long to set up the game. You ever been in one of those? It takes about an hour to set it up, and then it takes an hour or more to actually play the game, because you're being very careful about where you place your pieces in risk. If you ever played a strategy game, and my son is like killer on this, so I have to like really strain to keep up with him, this, this brain he has. So you gotta be like super careful. So Trina, Trina has a good strategy with him. She just kinda says, like, I don't care if I win or not. So she just like puts her people over it, and then she beats him, which drives him crazy. So I love that. But anyway, not, not me. I'm always kind of trying to out-strategize him. So it's like you, you are, you're doing this like, where am I going to put this guy, this guy, this guy? You're like very carefully, you're not just randomly, like Trina does, throwing these guys out there. You're just like, just kind of, you're going, oh man, okay, whoa, whoa, we need some more over there. Oh, that guy is going to go there. Very strategic. It is that you are very carefully, strategically placing, get the idea? right? Placing, putting them, tithemi, there in that place just where they are needed. Make sense? Did you know that's what God has done with you? Did you know you're here this week because you've been tithemied here? God did just need some more warm bodies at Syker, and he said, and you'll do. God chose you to be here. You are here by divine appointment this week. Did you know that? In fact, you're even on this campground in a certain location by divine appointment. There's other people that are here for you to interact with this week. By div- you've been tithemied. You live in the neighborhood you live in because you've been tithemied. You're in the church. You're in. You were born in the family that you were born into because you were tithemied. You were strategically, you live somewhere. There are people, and you've heard it said a million times, but there is somebody in your life that is going to see Jesus through you in a way that they can't see through anybody else. Kind of gives you a new reason for living, doesn't it? Kind of gives you a new sense of mission. When we talk about missions, you're on a mission. Tithemi. You've been placed. The other word, the other way tithemi is used is when you place something of great value. Um, you, and you can't see the image very well, but it's, it's a person making their bank deposit in that window, right? Anybody actually go to the bank anymore? We do all like online banking now. Once in a while, we have to go actually make the deposit, you know? Anybody use the plastic tube still? Plastic tube? 
Or sometimes you drive, you know, go open the window like this and the drawer comes out or you, you know, you stick it in there. I don't know about you. I'm like, um, uh, I'm, I'm, what, I'm what my daughter would call a checker, all right? I'm always double checking things. I double check the lock. Uh, do I have my stuff? You know, am I, is ever, did I get all the money in? Because I'm always forgetting stuff. I've misplaced money and all kinds of stuff. So like, uh, am I actually, is it there? Oh, double check. I'm, always, I'm very careful. I don't just kind of toss it in there. I'm very careful about me. You do that with things that are important or of great value. You maybe have some heirloom at your house and you're very careful about, you know, where you put it in the house or whatever. You have something of great value. You don't just toss it. You don't just kind of whatever, handle it loosely. You, you tithe me. You place it, right? I've used the illustration before because I enjoy it so much. Those royal banquets at Buckingham Palace or at Windsor, and there's one of those stewards that they, they take, look at the, you can't see it very well in the picture because of the, the, the lighting, but all those, I mean, they take days to set up each one of those pieces of silverware. It, there's tons of them there, just like there's tons of us, but each one of those pieces of silverware, every goblet, every plate, every little plate, I mean, Trina probably knows what all those things are, like the dessert fork and the pickle fork or whatever it is, right, and all these little things, there's all, and they, they take hours with measuring sticks, no kidding, to place those extremely carefully. Did you know that's you today as well? You've not just been tossed out here. You are not random. You, you, you haven't been just kind, of, just kind of randomly placed. You, by the very hands of a loving God, he says you were formed in your mother's womb and you have been placed in this world as Esther, as, as Esther, as, uh, Esther said, uh, Mordecai said to Esther in 4.14, for such a time as this, you have been placed in your family, in this camp, in your church. You have been lovingly, carefully, because you are of enormous, immeasurable value to God. And we'll talk more tomorrow that you really matter. You are needed your measure of worth is beyond anything that we can count today. He cares for you. You were placed, he even says in verse 18, now, now, right now. He cares about where you are. He has placed you in this very place at this very moment right now. You say, oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, sometimes it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> you ever feel like that? I mean, I want to believe that in my head, but it sure doesn't feel like I'm a place. And of all things, God, if you've really loving me, placed me, and we're talking about where I am in my life or my circumstances right now, I'm going, really, God, you've placed me like here? <laughs> you ever feel that in your circumstances? In this situation, really, you're going to say you've loving me, placed me in this? It sure doesn't feel like it, God. But that's back to the truth, isn't it? Not feelings, as Brother Tom said, not what I feel, not my fears, but back to the importance of saying, listen, this is what your word says, not what I feel. This is what your word says. And so I, I want to stand on and I want to speak and I want to, I want to be directed by your truth in my life. So finally, we'll finish with this real quick. Why, God, though, have you placed me here? 
Why here? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand on the truth. I'm going to say, okay, I have been placed. You care about me. I've been, I've been, I've been strategically tithemied right here, and, and you have something important for me. But God, why here, really? And by here, I mean maybe it's a location that you're in. Maybe it's a neighborhood you live in. Maybe it's a job that you have. Maybe it's a family situation. Maybe it's a health circumstance. I don't know. But there's some place where you're going, really, God, here? Why here? Remember I said there's thir- three main purposes of Corinthians? What's the first one? Jesus is the answer. What's the second one? Pride is the block. I feel like Chris Bond's doing the hand thing. I don't know. The third main idea is the 619 principle. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. Here's the principle. The whole design of Christianity is that you would be indwelt. Sounds like a good title for for a book, The Indwelling Life of Christ. Hmm. Your whole purpose was to be indwelt, to be his vessel, and for him to dwell in you, and for him to live in you and show who he is through your life. That's That's our whole purpose of being here. That's our mission, is to know him and have be indwelt by this one that we get to know, surrendered him, and he would get to live out of our life, and we would see, we would be these vessels, these earthen treasure, these earthen vessels that contain this treasure that he gets to show through. That's why he has me here. When you say in my life, when I say in my life, Jesus, why am I here? He's saying back to me, because I want to live in you and through you. And so in that situation, there's somebody in that situation that's going to see me because you're there. Um, in C.S. Lewis's book called The Great Divorce, another one, I, I just love that book. C.S. Lewis's, he talks about like um, the Christians are the solid people in a land of shadows. Solid people. Somebody, the world needs to see a solid person. You get to be literally the indwelt life of Christ right where you are. Somebody, you know this already, but this is the whole missionary heart. Somebody in your family, in your church, in your neighborhood, in your job, wherever you are, is going to see Jesus because you're there, because you're indwelt. Not because you're anything, I'm anything special. I'm, I'm literally that cracked pod in 2 Corinthians 4 7. Treasure in earthen vessels, right? It's not, the, it's not the vessel, it's the treasure within that shows forth through the cracks. So somebody gets to see him there, that's why I'm there. That's why I'm here, one reason. The second reason why I'm here is he's shaping me for that here. Sometimes I don't want to be here, but what God's saying is, oh, but right here I'm forming you. How many times in my life do I look back on something really difficult that I've been through and say, man, Jesus, now hindsight, now hindsight, I can see what you did there. I can see how you formed me. I can see how you shaped me. I can see how you refined me. Boy, that didn't feel good, but boy, I wouldn't trade it now. Wasn't so sure at the time. I was asking, why God here? And he's going, I'm working in you to shape you right here in your life. So that changes my view. I mean, God has chosen to work through us here. God has chosen us as the vessel. So this changes my perspective. What if I could just begin to have the attitude, okay, Jesus, if that's true, just place me where you want. As a matter of fact, what if I could begin to say, thank you for where you have placed me? instead of being dramatic like I do or the Corinthians did. Instead of longing for something else, just 
Jesus, thank you for where you've placed me because right here, right here, you're not only showing through me where I get the incredible privilege of you showing through me right here where you've tithamied me this week strategically, right now today, but also you're doing something in my life that's preparing, shaping me for you to do that even more gloriously in the days ahead. And there's a lot of joy in that. That makes the journey so much more joyful because he is with me and he's in me right here. So any pride holding me back today on this? What if I began to pray the prayer today? God, you know what's best. You choose, you place me, and you demonstrate yourself through me right here and shape me here so you can show yourself in my life and through my life. Remember his goodness, everybody. God's a good God, isn't he? Amen. God's a good God. He's never failed us, huh? We've all been through our Red Seas in our life. And the same God who's taken us through those things is still with us. He is with us and he is in us even right now. So today, would anybody surrender to just let your life be in his good hands? Let's pray. Our God and Lord Jesus Christ, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, we thank you today for all the work in our lives. And uh, you work in ways that we cannot see. You work in those ways that are above our ways. For as your thoughts are as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are your ways higher than our ways and our, your thoughts higher than our thoughts. How amazing are your ways. And God, how miraculous is your orchestration and your, <laughs> your plan that is, we only see a little bit of. So today, we, with great joy, want to just say thank you so much for placing us here and would you right here today show yourself through us and would you shape us to be a vessel for you can show through even more gloriously. May we all today stand on truth, not feelings, but on the, the awesome truth of your word, your presence in our lives. We love you today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everybody. We'll see you in a few minutes for service.